Welcome to Bonsai Time. Today, in our first in released episode, we have an interview with Dan Robinson, my bonsai teacher. And Kevin and I actually just went to Dan's place and we worked on trees with him for a few days. So uh, that's when we recorded this interview back in January. And Dan is, I guess I'll say, he is a longtime bonsai practitioner. He's been doing it for 60 years plus now. He's in everything from collecting all around the country, all around the US and Canada, and including growing from seed and, and uh, lecturing and writing articles. So he's kind of a, a classic, one of the, the first major bonsai people in the US, I would say, outside of the uh, Japanese American community. And nowadays he's not traveling and lecturing as much, so he's kind of just on his bonsai island at Alondon Gardens. So we were really excited to go out and interview him and share his bonsai philosophy and his, his proclivity and thinking about ancient trees with everyone at home. Mm. So hope you enjoy. Mm. Yeah, Ryan was asking me today, like, what do you want to practice in your, day, in your time here? I was like, yeah. definitely carving, because I have carving. You come visit Dan Robinson then. Right, right. <laughs> Got it. And then uh, just overall more styling work. Like um, Tomorrow I'll show you some of the stuff I was wiring. Mm-hmm. Um, more so just getting used to proper flow, you know, as... as Line? Exactly, yeah, with the eye and movement. Um, I think I've gotten better from what I was doing. I mean, you saw the photos I sent. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see a line. I ask my wife all the time, what do you think? Because she's very, no, it needs to change this way. That way. She's seen a lot of them. That you do right yeah. Um, but um, yeah, that's if anything, you know, really anything, anything you throw at me, I'll be done to try. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, my whole thing is, it's linear, it's, mm. it's bad. Yeah. Boring. And um, so in the wiring, uh, what I noticed about a lot, uh, as a principal, I remember seeing Ryan Neal wiring a pine, and he was correctly um, declaring or stating that the gradual uh, wire is where the strength of the wire is to hold the bend. But that means you don't do tight curves. So out the door. How do you do tight curves? Which makes things look more better. And so to me, I've always double wired in the first place. And I put my curves much closer to protect the thing from breaking. And you don't get as much utilization out of the wire strength necessarily. Of course, he's a copper wire guy, but copper wire is, to me, it's just kind of worthless because you can't put it on tight. Big wire, you can't do it like this. It isn't going to go on. It's going to go on gradually, and that forces you to have a rangy design. And rangy designs take the eye away from the value, and the value is the trunk. And how can I get foliage right next to it? Right on it. So you're kind of caught in that. That um, I haven't thought about that for a long time, but that's just 
a reality in my my mind. So how did you how did you come to incorporate that in your style? Like was that just the initial response that you had to what you saw? I I never had any instruction. That's cool. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> on, the, on the ground up, or the yeah, the bar so right much up. for higher education. <laughs> right, what am I spending my money on? Okay. <laughs> so much of what I I did was just um, figuring out how to get it done. Mm. Being in the mountains, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and seeing right, seeing it, seeing that in nature, and right. I mean, I I've got a great. A trunk to show you mm, underneath the redwood trees. You know that one where that tree apparently fell on that pine. It was a ponderosa. This no. was up in the mountains someplace, okay. and it just the trunk was this big, and it took these branches, and they are like this, peeled off of that trunk, and they grew. Wow! And it left a part in the center. Was that the cross one? Well, it's a dead thing. I you know where that big mortar and pestle is yeah, out there? Yeah I, yeah, I know the tree. Yeah, and I kept it just to show people, right. well, this is how nature did it. Right. How can I simulate that? That right. means right. hollowing out things and tearing things right. and all of those methodologies um, to bend things and figure out how to make it work. And Kimura, to a large degree, Diz does that, but of course he doesn't ever teach his people how to do it. But in some of his early um, shortenings of trunks, in his first books where he's taken all the wood out and he can take this trunk and twist it up and shorten it down to where it's only this big instead of this tall, by just going down to the cambium and a little bit of the sapwood and taking all the heartwood out of there and carefully supporting it as you bend it right right and uh is that is that including the wire spine to add support too with the rocket well yeah the wire of course will hold the position for you real good and and uh anyhow that just is this your pruner here yeah god what a hog <laughs> yeah this is a hog they, I can cut up to um, big branches. Yeah. Some wire gauges that are pretty nice. Oh, katsunis. They're heavy, but I don't do them for. I do them for bigger cuts, not. Um, Probably good for landscape trees. Yeah, I've used this on a lot of maple. Yeah, it's a. Uh, you know, this is. <laughs> this is my tool of choice. And it's thirty-five dollars. Oh yeah. Oh, 30. I'm sorry. That's well, nice I was counting. Hand. Now we know who runs the store. <laughs> well, that's the tax on the top. Uh, <laughs> oh, Joshua Ron. Nice. Yeah. Local, too. And we have sold hundreds of those to people who come in with these big old hog type pruners that cost 85 or 90 or $100, some with a ratchet on it, and some with with gears for pruning in the yard. And they all leave a stub. Mm. Yeah. And I said, this stub is the enemy unless you're going to carve it and turn it into value added. Right. Right. So cut them flush. Don't let that stub stick out on your yard pruning or anything else. So. With your yard pruning, I mean, the thing that I noticed about your Ryan was directing me to where to turn. I was expecting this like really fast turn. I'm like, oh, I got to turn quick, you know, because I was like, okay, I've got ten minutes, I've got five minutes. And I'm like, oh, a minute, okay, well, close. And then I saw the, the land in with 
of the Alandian verse of Dan. <laughs> yeah, the uh, Danon. That's what it says. And that's what my son-in-law used to call me. <laughs> Danon. <laughs> and, um, you know, I saw the Niwaki trees up front. Yeah. Um, I've been trying to more get my clients on some of that as far as proper technique for certain pine trees. Because there's a lot of eastern white pine up there, you know. Yeah. You do certain things with it, but can't so much. It's not much good. I don't. Yeah, I've got one in right the now. property, one parvaflora or whatever it is, next to the big rock yeah. when you walk out there. And, and I prune it, and it's you know it's a nice tree, but it's just kind of it's kind of junk. They don't behave. Yeah. And so I just have not gone to the trouble to figure out how you're going to get them to. <laughs> hmm? I said I don't behave either. <laughs> and, and I haven't figured that out either. You know, so there you go. <laughs> But it's um, the hard pines are fabulous, mm. and black pine and red pine are terrific. Scots pine is good. I haven't really figured it out too much because I I don't have I have one as a bonsai, mm. and I have one that I've had for fifty years in a big pot out there that's pretty nice that I. I never prune it. It just looks good, and so don't beat yourself up. Right. Until it forces you to it, like that redwood. Right. It just looks so bad, mm-hmm. and it was such a fabulous tree, and to have all of that wonderful trunk with a shitty foliar presentation is just mm-hmm. was just an insult. So I decided. <laughs> so we spent the, you know, the four days working on it. Of course, they're short days. But it looks terrific now. I just, mm. oh, that's it's like that Hanoki that yeah, yeah. I took you out to the. Yeah. That to me is boy, that's nifty. That no, it is. It just looks so clean and like you correctly observed. Well, that one looked. Remember when I got done with it and you couldn't see any foliage? Yeah, on it. Yeah, it was all just branch and trunk, and now it's all bushy with all, right, the, right. all this bright green foliage. Right. And then, and you haven't seen my super one. I've got a super one. That, it's on the ground to the left when you go out the door, but it's Are you? the super Hanoki. No, it isn't here. Down at the garden. When you go out the back door, it's hard to lift. The one with the big trunk that I've hollowed out the inside of the trunk on it. Mm-hmm. Just a wonderful tree. But it really needs a haircut. I mean, it's just beautiful right now. Is that the one that has the, the real fat base? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did we see that one? No. Talk about how long it it's, down, it's down on the ground, kind of, under okay. the leaves of that tree on the left. Mm-hmm. I'll show you that tomorrow. Yeah. But it's um, it's just so beautiful. But it's just all wrong. Yeah. And another... nobody, nobody that prunes those hanokis right, mm-hmm. except me. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't keep after it, it's going to get bigger. And bigger, well, it's not bad. Right. But if you want it to stand still and be terrific, you've got to sparse it. Means you got to go back to the last little bit of green on each one of those sprays. So it's one of these, huh? Only have one of those in your collection. And I've got five or six. I'm still working on the one I'm trying to do. Where it's, um, the idea I have is like, I don't know what it is about me and Cliffs. Maybe because I you know, grew up seeing a mountain every day when I was a kid. But um, having like a cliff slate, if you think of like a long extended arm. And then the cliff edge this way and the rest of the mountain going down. And mm-hmm. you always see a tree sometimes falling on the directly edge. Mm-hmm. 
and then the apex is growing up now, right? Mm -hmm. I have this hinoki that I turned into a raft, kind of raft that I'm going to plant on top of a rock mm. and build it up that way and make it look like something like that. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to figure out how to, like you said, not make it, uh, <laughs> make it, ah. <laughs> yeah. It's just time. You know? Yeah. Uh, I have right now. I've got one, two, three, four, five, probably six or seven dwarf anokis. Hmm. One is uh, Nanagracillus, which is the superior of any of them. See, the dwarf obtuse nana, half the foliage is vertical, half of it lays flat. Mm. Which is a pain in the ass, because <laughs> yeah. you got to wire the verticals to lay flat. Right. And if you do all that, that's like that one out there, right. where everything is flat on right. there. Right. It looks fabulous. Right. And one across the street from it is the same way. Right. But there's one in this in the in the room in there. It's on the ground. It's that Gracilis uh, Nana. Mm -hmm. So everything lays flat. Variety, but you hardly ever find them. Right. Most of the stuff are obtuse and Anna. And, uh, and then I've got a new one. I don't know whether you've seen it. Maybe you have. It looks like the foliage looks like a fern. I'll show you. It's, I think I've heard of this type, yeah. but I don't know that I've seen the one that you have. Yeah. It's really quite, um, quite beautiful. Beautiful foliage on it. Strange looking, because it looks like fern fronds, mm. but um, pretty nifty and very delicate. Mm. I killed the whole side of the tree and hollowed it out, carved it. And I got it from a nursery down in, actually a bonsai nursery down in Sacramento. What is his name? Maruyama. Uzo Maruyama. And... Um, He's about the main bonsai guy in the Sacramento area that's yes. least oriented. Mm. No. Do you ever do burning techniques? Yeah. It's terrible because it gets rid of the sharp edges. Right, right. See, what's wonderful about the die grinder and stuff, if you do it right, mm. is that you have sharp edges. Mm. And that is like that sublimated wood. Right, right. Well, you showed me today, yeah. Otherwise, it looks like it's sandblasted. And so, with the burning. Right. And so, to me, it's just wrong. Mm. It can look nice. It's like when uh, dead wood is polished. Mm -hmm. well, it's like what people do with driftwood, you know, they have yeah, driftwood yeah. shows and polish and, you know, sand it, make it people friendly, <laughs> which is. Right. A nice thing to do, yeah, but it's aesthetically pleasing. Just not if you want to make a thing look natural. Right. It's just like how to deal with that shari mm -hmm. on the uh, cupressus. Mm. Do you want it to be a shari? Or do you want it to look like old wood? Mm. Right. Yeah. yeah. And um, so it's um, it's always a. The reality is that on some trees. Some wood that um, when you just take the bark off, you've got this smooth surface. And that quite often is very impervious to decay. Mm. It can last a long, long time. 
some species. Whereas the wood it. behind sometimes will rot out, mm. leaving that skin. Mm. And you see that on hardwoods a lot. Mm. I don't see it a lot, but I've seen pictures of it. Mm. There's a guy in Europe, some place in France that specializes in dead wood and bonsai, and he had quite a few. Right. How, did, how did you find Stan? Did you ever tell me? Uh, I, don't oh, yeah, I know you said he searched online. Yeah, yeah. So I was looking for summer internships, uh, mostly for my job, but then I, I was, I found Graham Potter on YouTube doing carving demonstrations. And then uh, from there, I was like excited about bonsai again, where I had just been like curious about it before that. So I started looking into the possibility of bonsai apprenticeships and seeing people on like uh like people that seem professional and knowledgeable on the bonsai subreddit so i reached out to one of those people uh that in his flair he said he was in the pacific northwest and he was always very knowledgeable and helping people and answering questions and that was frank mm -hmm. yeah so frank would always give people very detailed explanations and all these things oh, yeah. so i messaged him very and articulate. i was like yeah. oh where in the pacific northwest are you because i'm like i'm right here in Seattle, I was hoping to help him with his trees. And he's like, oh, actually, um, I don't have that many trees you can help with, but I got you an even better offer. You can come to my teacher's place, or Frank's teacher, yeah. you. So, yeah, that's how that happened. And then I, I met Dan and Diane at one of the Pacific Bonsai, uh, or Puget Sound Bonsai mm. Association meetings. And then probably the next week I was here pruning landscape pines and landscape maples and working my way up from there. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, it's like Patty. She just... I take anybody who wants to volunteer to help stuff. I mean, why not? You know, I got a lot of ground to cover down there. Mm -hmm. And, uh... Yeah, you do have a lot of ground. It's, um... <laughs> but it's just wonderful. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, uh... That's a, about my best creative expression, I guess, on some level. I, I've done some really wonderful landscaping jobs for people, and I'm still tending them. Mm. I've got a tree that I pruned, that I planted. I, I, I bought it out of a house in North Seattle way back around 1961 or 62 or something like that. It was a Scots pine. And it was probably about this big and had a nice shape. And somehow this guy was willing to sell it. And I bought it. And then I had it at this nursery. And then I had it at this nursery. And I was in a crescent-shaped bowl. And finally, I... Let's see. Did I, I'm wondering. I'm trying to remember if I ever had it here at my first house. I think I probably did. And then finally, I used it on a landscaping job mm. in the early 70s. And now the trunk is this big. Mm. And it's about, well, a 12 foot ladder. I'll get you up to it. Excuse me, ladder. And just fabulous limbs. Mm. And the needles are this long. Wow. Mm. Like and it then. takes me um, six or seven days to prune it. How big, how, how big is the diameter of the, of the whole tree? Including brands. Oh, probably, of course it fluctuates, but probably um, maybe eight or 
maybe 10 feet at the most, I suppose. That's significant. Yeah, that takes a lot of time. And the limbs just are just. Right. And tiny little shoots and thousands of them. (laughs) So you pretty much decandle every year? Every year I climb up and I'll spend all day on this branch. (laughs) (laughs) That takes you a good week, you say? Uh, Eight days. Yeah. Yeah. I've got my daughter working on it now. So it's, but it isn't speeding it up because every cut you get to, right. I mean, that's the problem. Right. And it's been 50 years of, well, it's been, it's been 65 years of pruning it because I got it right. back in the early 60s. Mm. So it's one of these things that's just kind of hopeless, mm. but it is just fabulous. Right. And, um, you know, shaggy old bark on it. Mm. Scott's pines are really quite wonderful. I like them. A slightly bluish cast to it, mm-hmm. but you look at it just. And I I pruned the orchard. There's about seven or eight um, 130 year old Ravenstein apple trees, with trunks this big, and they are just like perfect bonsai trees. Mm, I saw the one at the you pointed that one out. And I just got just got done pruning them just a couple of weeks before Christmas. Mm. And they're covered with lichen oh, for the wow. winter view. Uh, and here's these gnarly things with this beautiful lichen mm. on them. And it's just, you look at them, just, and nobody does that kind of pruning. Right. It's just amazing. Right. And of course, I do the same thing with lace leaves and everything. Everything is pruned into that um, sublime, orderly, Wonderful discipline. Right, shape, shape. And um, on the maples, it's it's just you cut it to the first bud. Mm. Every shoot gets cut to the first bud, mm. assuming that's an extension. Right. You know. Right. So they put out this much, or they put out this much, and the only time you would bury is if it really had an anomalistic new growth shoot that well. I'll cut that a little bit longer. But that looks good. Mm-mm-mm. But otherwise, everything goes back to that first bud. Right. And that forces a dichotomy. Mm. And dichotomy, dichotomy, dichotomy becomes forking beautiful. <laughs> that's true, yeah. And, that's, and that is it. That's, that's the answer to it. Mm. Now, there's a lot of big things that have to go in that session. But for the amateur, I tell them, well, you, you could prune it for a couple of years. You better call me back hmm. after that. But I tell them, just cut every new growth. Mid-July, go out and defrock it, and you'll be down to a, a fraction of the foliage left. But you'll see that trunk mm-hmm. and all of that beauty in there. Exactly. And it's exactly the same thing you do with both sides. Did you get into landscaping first? Before yeah. Yeah. I was pruning uh, trees from when I was a little kid. I had a grandfather who had a, well, he was was a lawyer, but he had had a big house in Seattle, which I had nothing to do with. I was too young, but then he had a summer place down here near, on Puget Sound, on the bay down here, about 30 miles from here. It was a summer place. It was a raw piece of land, but it had some old apple trees from a former farm mm. and uh, they built a place there and we grandkids would come up every, all all summer long growing up and I'd help him in the garden oh, nice. so I and he wasn't um, 
any more than just uh, a kind of a gardener. But he loved organics. Hobbies kind of deal. And he loved to make humus piles and all that kind of stuff, which I don't have anything to do with any of that because I don't need any humus because I don't grow any vegetables, you know. Right, right. And so, but um, I'd prune the trees and he'd sit down under the tree and cut them all up into little pieces and put them in the humus pile. Mm -hmm. But I got into a kind of an artistry. About the only thing I remember him ever telling me as a clue was to let the sun in. So open it up to let the sun into the fruit. You get more sugar in the fruit. I was with a sugar devotee, and so (laughs) that worked great for me. Were you born in Seattle? Where were you born? Yeah. We were. Okay. Yeah. Genuine Seattleite. <laughs> Washingtonian. Yeah. That's interesting. So, with your landscaping, then, how did you learn how to do Well, I just kind of started doing that. Uh, actually, that isn't fair. I, I, um, I helped my grandfather around this summer place, and we, we built bulkheads, and I grew up really strong because I used to go out on. I used to row to the distant islands, collect logs, and row them back, and then I'd cut them up with a crosscut saw oh, wow. to, for firewood. I did that for years. <laughs> I'd tie these logs end to end, and I'd row, row them home, and my grandmother would call friends of hers up and say, Do you see Danny out there anywhere? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he looks like he's got three logs in tow. <laughs> now we know how the Deadwood collection started. Yeah, so that's why I, I've never hurt my back. Right. <laughs> always looking up. <laughs> I've always, you know, always look up when you come up. Mm-hmm. That's that's what you do. You told me that today, and I was like, I gotta try that. It works. You know? Oh, it's all the difference. But it makes sense. Though. It makes these do everything. Right. And, and you're limited by these then. Yeah, because your back usually can lift more than your legs can because you just don't do squats. Right. Right. I mean, who right. does enough squats to give you big quads? You know. Right. Mm-hmm. But you, when you think about it, those guys, those weightlifters, are not praying mm. when they're down there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> they're in the right position because they want these to do it all so that they'll have what's left. Right. For this, mm. now let's go get some deadwood. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, it's um, it's um, so I just grew up really strong. Mm. That would do it. And I was always collecting um, interesting gnarly driftwood because my grandfather had some driftwood walkways. Mm. Oh, that's cool. And so I was getting seeped in deadwood. Mm. And I was always curious about big logs. I mean, our beaches here were festooned with logs because of the early logging was all water transport. Right. Right. Right and down the river. And plus there was this natural stuff. I mean, Puget Sound is this huge waterway with cliffs and things and mm. logs and driftwood and there's hardly any of it around anymore because people have done right. magic, you know. <laughs> but um, there was when I was a kid and then, so I'd collect driftwood and big logs. Most of these logs were what called they're called boom sticks. Well, you probably remember they're the the lasso around the logs, right? And they're eighty feet long, mm-hmm. with holes in them for the boom chains mm-hmm. to hold them together, and they fill them full of logs and tow them with a tugboat to the sawmill. And those logs, that once the end pulled out, mm-hmm. they'd set them free. Right. They'd, that's them what down. I'd collect for for firewood. 
And uh, there's a picture in my book of me on the beach hmm. um, with a splitting ball and a yeah. big hammer. And, and those yeah. logs were stuff that I had cut up. And, I, and uh, yeah. Then did that lead you to more like going into the mountains and like collecting trees? Or well, no. But um, when I started, I went through forestry at the University of Washington. Okay. Because I knew I was going to be a tree guy, and I pruned all the big fir trees on my grandfather's property. Mm. So I climbed them and limbed them because I'm interested in producing good lumber. Right, right. Good which money, was too. more than gnarly things. The only gnarly things were the apple trees. Mm. And... Um, I started in forestry in 1957. Mm. I graduated from high school in Chicago. I was living in Chicago at the time and went uh, in the summer to work forest service in Eastern Oregon, mm. down near um, John Day. Mm -hmm. So I worked in the Malheur National Forest all summer and That's was on a fire lookout for a month. And oh, wow. Did all that kind of stuff, you know. That's beautiful territory out there. Yeah. And uh, I remember uh, once a week I could take time off up there to go down to get fresh water from a spring that was down in a area of the Strawberry Mountains. Hmm. And it was an area where um, game crossed. It was kind of a saddle. And there were a lot of uh, obsidian points and stuff in there from Indian hunting early on in that country. Anyhow, I know that there were gnarly trees and I never noticed them because mm. um, it was all about timber. Mm. And for a while I was working on the crew pruning uh, ponderosas mm. for timber production. So we were taking limbs off up to 22 feet with long handle saws. Mm. And uh, so trees, 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 but... Um, Nothing gnarly. Hmm. And then I started in forestry, and I had an uncle who was in the, in the landscape business. And he worked for this nursery out the north end of... And um, he knew I was a tree kind of guy, knew about trees. And so um, I had a, a 41 Plymouth hmm. that had a big trunk in the back, hmm. a four-door 41 Plymouth, and I took the back seat out. And with that door up, I, it was like a pickup truck inside. <laughs> right, right. And I would go up in the mountains and, and collect trees for landscaping. And so I began looking for interesting, mostly vine maples and stuff like that, because you can move them bare, bare root. Right. And um, uh, this one day I was up uh, above the Skokomish River down here out of Shelton. And I was up in this area digging these clumps, which were real vertical. Mm. Spreading ones were a pain in the ass because how are you going to haul them so in the big, back yeah. of a thing? And so these vertical ones, I could just kind of stuff several of them in and I'd haul them to the nursery and sell them. And mm. I paid my way through college doing this kind of stuff. I worked nights at the university bookstore. Mm. I was a janitor. Mm. And then I had I only had morning classes because I didn't want to go to school very much. So I took three, you know, five-hour classes or whatever they were. And mm. then I was off, and so I could 
go out and earn money right. some way. And uh, I was up there digging these trees and carrying them down a kind of a game trail to where I was parked and uh, in a wider area. I, I saw these uh, gnarly trees real close to the ground. And um, I remember going over and realizing they were buying maple that had been deer browsed. Hmm. And uh remember saying to myself, that's what those Japanese guys put in the pots. Hmm. When did, when did you first see a bonsai tree? I don't know. Gotcha. But obviously I had seen... Some recollections of them, right? Something of them. Yeah. And so I started collecting deer browse vine maples. And then I remember one day I decided to go uh, east of the mountains, look for ponderosa pine. And I went over towards Clay Elm across Snoqualmie Pass and found some of those along a railroad grade over there that were kind of contorted with neat bark. And hmm. So I just, all of this I just kind of did on my own. And, uh, and uh, so it became an equal devotion. Mm, mm. Stuff for landscaping and right. little trees, and there weren't any pots, but I, um, at St. Vincent de Paul, they had these, uh, the stands that held up hot water tanks, mm. three-legged things with a crescent-shaped tray, mm -hmm. and you'd get them for a dollar or something, because they were just kind of junk, and I, right. I still have one of them out here. <laughs> You'll see tomorrow, awesome. and on one corner, is one of those old things that I got way back in 57 or 58. So, Dan, I noticed you like words. As a, you I, like to I'm kind play, of a, play with the words. What, um, kind of a punster. <laughs> I like that. What, from what I always heard about you before I met you until today, you know, since today I met you, Dan's always gnarly, gnarly, gnarly. What <laughs> brought on the concept for you to, as a gnarly thing, you know, not only such a well, because it's such a common, yeah, common word. Rather than talking about, you know, the undulated right. structure, the twisty turn twists yeah. through yeah. the system, and you know, it's gnarly. The trouble is that for a lot of people, gnarly yeah. doesn't compute yeah. into mm -hmm. a plant form. Right. So it's a bit of a misnomer. Right. Mm -hmm. But I still like it, right. and of course, my book. Right. We use it that because that just kind of <laughs> is what really, to me, makes a thing just be new. Mm -hmm. What is common in bonsai is, in a way, uh, this flawless, composed, artistic, mature tree. But not an ancient one. Mm. Almost none of them are ancient looking. Mm. And ancient means it's on its way out. And nobody deliberately does that with the exception of the junipers. Right. Mm. The and of course, they're flush with these heads of foliage. Yeah, right. You know, and I, I like that. But at least it's got the dead wood that's right, right. interesting, but it's replete in nature on earth all ancient trees. Mm. And that was always my perception, whether it's you're in Kentucky and you're driving past a, a great you know, horse farm with 
with black fences. <laughs> and here's this mound in the middle of this field where they pushed all the rocks, and here's this gnarly tree up there. A big old oak. <laughs> and I, I, I didn't see the horses, but I saw that tree. <laughs> you know, and so, um, and the tops of trees. I've right. always been mesmerized by that finishing touch. Mm. And on ancient trees, it's a dilapidated mm. presentation because mm. mm. it's on its way out. Right. And that's more mysterious for me horticulturally and I, I like to think that it is more seductive as a curiosity for new people right. to conceptualize that this tree is on its way out and you're perpetuating it and it's lost a whole bunch of its structure and it still is functioning mm. and I've got some of those well I should do that one where the bark is coming back right. growing into the inside of a hollowed out trunk. I've never mm. seen that before. Hello, Earth. Yeah. <laughs> and, and of course, that the cedar, where the whole trunk is routed away, and it's just just cambium layers going down mm. oh, yeah, where the, the tree cascading. has collapsed. It's in the green. Yeah. Where the tree has collapsed and pendant mm -hmm. it's because like there's no structure left. Mm -hmm. Just strips of bark. I'll barely show you that one. Yeah, yeah. On in one piece. And what? so it's those kinds of things that just make me just. Look at that. I mean, I've seen beautiful trees. I know what they look like. I'm a tree guy. Right. My whole life, whether I'm pruning them, training them, planting them in landscapes, it's all about a certain level of vigor and health and beauty. Mm. But the ones that are just beyond belief are the ones that, to me, are worthy of presenting as a fabulous bonsai mm. kind of a thing, almost like that redwood. Right. See, that redwood yeah. is borderline right. getting to look that way. Right. Where, right. God, it's all hollow. Yeah. And here's now we've opened up these openings where you can see through the trunk, and yet here's this flourish. Mm. Just so there isn't too much flourish. And right. that's the problem. Right. Fertilizing and watering every other day and all this just makes them way too happy. But um, maybe with a changing climate. Yeah, um, that will diminish. What does help diminish it is the absence of a youthful, viable root system. Mm. So don't do that. Mm. Don't root prone them every three years, five years. Mm. You don't need vitality. Mm. But to educate people that they don't need vitality when they're faced with this little goddammit that they started with. <laughs> Right. I want to grow into a big tree. Well, well they need that. Okay, put it in the ground. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Grow it to where it's ample and then slow it way down and let it just fester along like a tree growing in a crack in the rocks. Mm. And that's the way nature has always done it, you know. So it's, um, I know it's heresy. Well, I was going to say. But I'm, I'm old enough to just ignore any of those <laughs> kinds of threats, you know. That's interesting. Yeah, because in the idea I have of like a tree, you know, like I said this, this morning or this afternoon, um, I grew up camping on the Oregon coast. Yeah. So, so my my understanding of trees is very much a coastal landscape. Yeah. You know, and I grew up in playing in forests in my hometown. Yeah. And um, it's just interesting the idea is that like you know being in Oregon, similar to, yeah. to Washington, but different bodies of water, different bodies of land. Yeah, but. You know, geographically too, 
it's just um, with this ancient perception or this idea of gnarliness do you feel that's also how you live your life in regards to like just like pushing myself to the limit and surviving all these things I put myself through well I think so on some level um, um, the one thing that I don't want to ever I don't ever want to cut myself short mm. of what I like mm. I really like chocolate covered raisins right mm. right those are dessert and they yeah. are great mm. and um, I don't smoke mm. I don't drink mm. I don't drink coffee mm. I don't drink tea mm. <laughs> but I eat a lot of fruit mm. and stuff that may be good for me mm. but I eat about it I love cowboy cookies <laughs> and they're good for me because an attitude preempts the health <laughs> okay yeah. it's preemptory mm. If you're feeling really good, you win. That's like the positive mental attitude. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh -huh. So that kind of drives me on some level. I just, I, I find myself as I'm getting to be old that I have little patience for doing something that I don't want to do. <laughs> right, right. And I think that um, it's tough because I've got this great lady and she's got things she wants to do and right. so there's this concessions and right. battles the 50 /50. all those <laughs> kind of, we both agree we love to go to maui right, right. and lay in the sun right and i like to go because i collect bougainvillea trunks <laughs> and then i can ship them home as carving blanks right and come right. back with just this stick mm -hmm. and it'll be in bloom in six months <laughs> and so that that's right. fabulous right you saw that bougainvillea yeah. down here yeah and, i was like, you know just find a big old trunk and cut everything off Rest everything just bring back the wood <laughs> it works so anyhow um but i i uh i i work really best from a creative standpoint um by myself hmm. um would you consider yourself like a maverick in the sense of just like doing it myself because i know i can get it done well I don't think that, That's you know, really Maverick just one. sounds like you're deliberately doing something <laughs> just to be different. I mean, this right. is what my motivation is. So right, right. I, I don't I treat it as if it's, um, okay, I'm setting this example right. for people, but I suspect it is mm. because it's educational for people. Mm. There's just this dearth of my kind of particular information out there, it seems like. Now, I have no idea because I don't do any of the things right. you guys do with these goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you saw that right. phone I've got. Right, uh -huh. right. I wish I could And I can actually that. make Good a call yeah. and I can receive them. Right, that's uh -huh. perfect. And um, anything, kind of and it probably face. could do a lot more, but I <laughs> have little curiosity about right. all of that. And um, Well, you have how many trees at your nursery? Well, there's probably 350 down there. So you have the perfect phone for the, all the trees you have. Yeah, and then <laughs> no I've got a box around here, trees. and I've got, they're just everywhere. Right, right. And um, uh, a guy like Anthony shows up in the mix a year and a half or two years ago, and uh, just this uh, font of um, a great mind that has all this ability to do a whole bunch of stuff. Mm. that I have no curiosity about, but all of it is just wonderful stuff. Right. He's good with electricity. Mm. And, he, and and the interesting thing is I built that house mm. and did a whole bunch of this stuff. 
but I didn't know anything about it. And then, <laughs> it but I know enough that right. I didn't cause any yourself. trouble, right? Right. right. And um, and then you know I get other people and coming in. Everybody has these contributions, and all of them are much better equipped for a whole bunch of this worldly world right. that we're in now with right. the technology. Everything's connected. Yeah. I, I, my enthusiasm for embellishing the Alandon Gardens thing is unlimited, but I don't want to have to do any of it. Mm. I want to prune that tree. Right, mm. right. That's your, that's what Because that's, no one does it better. Mm. Now, someone may wire better, mm. but put the branch in the right place, and then let me, no, I'd probably. <laughs> For your taste, yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd do that, you know. It's just mm -hmm. like your carving is yeah. really fine. The problem is, and it has to do with bits, mm. is your exterior texture stinks. Mm. You don't have any neat, contiguous grooves that can Formal. exaggerate the yeah. fluctuation in the line. Mm. And that has to do with better little burrs mm -hmm. that will leave a nice groove with sharp edges. Mm. So... You've got the basic shape and the hollows. Mm -hmm. How do I make this outside look good? Right. Well, somebody would burn it, but then you'd lose right. all, the, all, all of that. Texture, you really right. got to go over it again, but it's green wood, and green wood never carves as good as dry wood, and so right. you're SOL yeah. um, <laughs> for a while. For a little while. Right. For a while. And, uh, you know, it's going to be like the wiring. The frustration for me in, in the wiring of that the redwood was that the cathead tips were just unbelievably flimsy. Mm. Where even with that little miniature wire, mm. it's just floppy. How am I going to get this wire on there to control yeah. the distal end of those branches? Mm. Because in logic, the end of the branch is the gnarliest. Mm. That's the gnarliest part of the tree because, do you know why? It's the most susceptible to the environment? No, because it's the furthest from the water source. Uh, right, yep. So it's brand new and it's the oldest part of the tree. Hmm. Now work that out as a, <laughs> that's, as a that's more of a condom than a condom. Con condominium or a, a conundrum. Yeah, more, more of a condom than a condom. But anyhow, it's just a fabulous art form. It is. It and, is. I, and I can just lose myself in it, and I have for years, mm. without um, equivocation and without apologizing. And mm. I've even been able to prune for people all summer long and work on trees. And, mm. you with, know. with the garden itself, how did you come up with for one, the setup, and two, the name. You know, how did, how did you well, decide to you have my wife uh, this way? saw that picture of me. They see that there's one picture down there. There's, I'm in the first picture. I'm just a little figure next to a tree down there. It might and be the, in the book The thing. big overall. Well, my wife saw me leaning on a shovel in the middle of this eight-acre chunk of land with no trees or anything, and she said, He's either nuts or he has great elan. 
And then she said, Elan Dan. Okay. And Elan is a French word meaning spirit or bravery or urge or yeah, yeah. power or your, some, your, some kind of a thing. Your energy. Yeah. 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 And um, That's awesome. So it's... Um, Yeah, this this will help. There's that picture of me cutting wood. Yeah, where? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. trying to see if I if there's a picture of that the garden like the early stages here. I don't know if it's in there. With Anyhow, them, it's down there in that row of pictures on the counter. With the design that you put in, um, how does that come? It's about? all spontaneous. You know, it is okay. It's got to be, and that's the same thing with bonsai. Right. We were talking about that the other day, that um, spontaneity is the gateway to creativity. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it. The plan is the enemy. Right. Because you, then you are assaulted mm-hmm. with all of your cumulative knowledge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think about that. And the trouble with that is that you've got all of this visual history of other people's trees and how they mm. should look. Right. That's, okay? Yeah. Which is hard to discount that. It's like so many things that I talk about. It's discounting all of this educational right. stuff that you've gone through. Right. Because it's wrong. Like we're conditioned. <laughs> yeah. And so everything turns out safe. Right. And mediocre. Almost the same looking. Yeah. yeah. It's all the same. Everything's a triangle. Mm. And you count one, two, three, one, two, three, and that's your tree design. What Hello, you, Earth. What's your opinion on Pinjing in that way of like the well, it's origination? Neat. Yeah. Chinese are much freer than, of course, Pinjing for them really had to do more with stone and trees, but they use it to yeah, yeah. describe the Chinese style. And, and uh, you know, I always thought that. Well, the, early, the in, most interesting story that I ever heard, and I don't know whether I'm the only person who ever heard it, but um, that the origin of bonsai was uh, from India, hmm. and it was a function of the the traveling shaman, the medicine doctors, hmm. who traveled from town to town, hmm. s- serving as medicine men. To the ill and infirm. Right. That's a guess. Mm. Who else? And they needed live product. And so they had little plants mm. that would bear product mm. so that it was good. And one of the magical trees is the neem tree. Oh, okay. Which is a medicinal, has medicinal properties. I don't know if any of them are applicable to human health. But who knows? Right. Shamans are shamans. But they had little <laughs> trees. So it was all a functional thing. Mm. But they kept them small because they were going with donkeys or right. camels or whatever they travel around with in India. Mm. Right, right. Or a car. Elephants. <laughs> 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 a boat, I don't know. Uh-huh. Sampan. <laughs> some kind of a thing. Mm. And I never heard that story. Had you heard that? I think I've heard a few different guesses, and that's one of the guesses about how it might have originated. Yeah, from there it evolved up into China. Right, mm-hmm. right. And then to Korea, and then on to Japan. And You were in Korea, yeah? 
What were, yeah. What were you? Well, I got drafted. Okay. Mm-hmm. With your time in Korea, did you do any bonsai there? Did you yeah. See any or? Yeah. So in the era, late fifties, I was starting to collect some trees, mm-hmm. and I was working with my uncle in landscaping. So uh, there were some excellent landscape designers in Seattle that were doing things that looked just like what I saw in the mountains. Mm. A guy named Jim Kelly. He used snags, dead wood in the gardens, mm. and rocks, and um, gnarly trees. Mm. So it was a, akin to a Japanese kind of a feeling, mm-hmm. but with a northwest bent That's because cool. here's dead wood. Right, right. And they never saw that in Japan. It's right. always a fuel. Anything dead, you burn yeah. it for heat. Yeah. Mm. And, um, but you do see it in China. Mm. Dead wood being used and honored. Anyhow, so I was uh, starting with some bonsai and of course I was subject to the draft because I was uh, reaching, well at 18 you had mm-hmm. to register. Mm-hmm. And then I quit school in 61 and then they got after me to draft me, and then they didn't draft me because I <coughs> I had played basketball in high school in Chicago on a team that was sponsored by the Labor Youth League, and it turned out to be a subversive organization no. okay. on the Attorney General's list. And so <laughs> since I played basketball on the team, I, was, <laughs> I had to be investigated for two years, and so wow. they investigated me for two years. Wow. And since I was a risk, they drafted me anyhow. And then they turned me into a water purification specialist. So I was in charge of the drinking supply. Okay. So the water. So okay. mm-hmm. in the wisdom of the, <laughs> the force, right. they made me in charge of the army. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, so I got drafted and in 62 or something like that. And I got trained. I, they wanted me to go OCS because I'd had five years of college, but I wasn't about to become an officer or do any of that. So mm. they put me into drafting, and then they turned me into a water purification specialist. Mm. And then they sent me to Korea mm. for a two-year haul in, over there. Mm. And um, the mountains, we were. I was in Taegu, which is south-central. Okay. So it's right in the middle, but it's down, and it's a little town out in the country. It has a railroad station, a big railroad building along the, you know, the whatever that's called, you know, where people would go to catch the train. And mm-hmm. Everybody was ox carts and very primitive, and we had a military base there, and I don't know what we did, but we were just there. Mm-hmm. And there was an isolated post that was relying on this base that was up in the mountains there, a degaussing station, which I never did get to to find out what that is. <laughs> but somehow they got rid of the goss up there, uh, whatever huh. the goss was. Huh. But the mountains were festooned with pines, uh, and all of them were gnarly. And I'll never forget when we flew, we flew into Korea, and I took the train down to Taegu, and we're driving through this countryside and I'm looking out the window and every tree was gnarly mm. and I just couldn't believe it because I was uh, <laughs> collecting up those for right. landscaping you're salivating yeah. you're like yeah. I want my hands not so on much those. for bonsai but, right. but for landscaping because they were all right. and, and there was no such thing as a straight one mm. there just weren't any straight ones they were all like this and you come to a forest and all 
the red pines. Most of them were red pines. There weren't a lot of black pines. Like, don't go to Ohio. They'll all but, stick straight. <laughs> but they were all crooked. And it's kind of interesting because genetically, um, the same thing was true from the Scots pines from Norway or Northern Europe, anyhow. And the first ones that they brought over here and planted in plantations all were crooked mm. at first. So it was a genetic quality, and then they grew out of it because mm-hmm. they're such a good place to grow. Mm. And I remember seeing that back when I lived in Madison, Wisconsin, and mm. in Chicago, that a lot of the Scots pines had this interesting character at first, and then they go grew sure. straight. Like they said, straight, oh, yeah. this is the good life. <laughs> oh, that's, more, more that's straightened up. So anyhow, um, there were lots of crooked trees, and I was up in those mountains probably the day after I got there, right out of our billets where we would sleep. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could walk out the back door, and the mountains were right there, and they were just festooned with rock and wonderful plants. Um, Selaginellas. Selaginella is a type of primitive fern. It's mm-hmm. like a club moss. Or something like that, but these were on stems. Wow! And so they look like little palm trees. Yeah. Then they dry up to a knot. Huh. A resurrection plant. Huh. You may have seen them as a resurrection plant. They used mm-hmm. to sell them in packaging. You put them in water, and they unfurl yeah. like little ferns. Right. And these were everywhere. And I remember going up there at first, not knowing anything about them, and just seeing these things sticking up with these knots on the top. And you know, they're just—you could pick up a pad of them off of a big rock. <laughs> And I thought, what the hell are these? <laughs> and then I went up after a rain, and oh, here's this flora abunda yeah. kind of yeah. presentation, and the gnarly pines, and it was um, it was fabulous. And um, in the town, there was a, a one guy who had in the window of his shop some interesting uh, Chinese artifacts, mm. bronze things, which I. I bought um, a couple of those. So I was uh, old enough to appreciate um, antiquities, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. lots of uh, Scylla dynasty stuff. I was in charge of the water supply right. um, for the camp. And of course, you had Korean nationals that did all the work, so I didn't really have anything to do. Mm-hmm. They'd been doing it for years. And then, okay, you know, so I could just kind of do what I wanted. And so <laughs> I had this uh, friend who was a Korean guy, and he got captured my interest in antiques and so he was always bringing me boxes of stuff from people out in the village oh wow so i oh yeah you know it's almost no money right you know i'm making money but what are you going to spend it i so anyhow just had a good time yeah yeah and um just um so I, I had this uh, guy who was bringing me these antiquities, knew about my passion for trees, because mm. I had bought a tree from a guy downtown that had a really neat pine. It was a cascading uh, black pine and a beautiful pot, and mm. you know, $250 or some mm. nominal thing. And I, I had that there. And then he had heard that there was this old guy out in one of the rural areas out in the country that was a bonsai collector. Wow. And uh, so we made, um, I had a Jeep at my disposal. And so one afternoon we drove out and this country was just um, all rice paddies hmm. with uh, 
dirt paths around and mountains right there. And, mm-hmm. and we drove out to this place and then we walked along this network of trails to this hooch, right. which was his house. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't there. But his wife was there. And of course, this guy could speak Korean. He said, well, he's up in the mountains collecting trees. Mm-hmm. But he should be coming back because the sun was going down mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like that. So you got to picture this thing. Here's this neophyte, me, <laughs> out there in a rice paddy, and the oriental sun is going down in the west behind these mountains, so there's this gold mm-hmm. light kind of shining, mm-hmm. and you see this figure walking along with this backpack. And these guys had these backpacks that were... Um, um, uh, maybe six or seven foot high uh, uh, things this big, fastened here mm. with two branches left on them oh, wow. out the back. Huh. And these guys would collect wood and they'd have these huge loads going way up over their heads mm. with this thing on their back. And they could just bend their knees a little bit and those legs would take the load off and they'd put a stick here and they could walk out from under it and here was this because they gathered all their fuel out of the woods so there weren't any branches on these mm. trees that just all had trunks going up oh wow because it was all fuel right and he had this backpack on and here was his bonsai tree over his head as he walked along this thing and he had one of these uh, one he was this old beard. guy oh really um, mm. old long beard you know <laughs> it's just <laughs> is this the real world, you know, yeah. for a fledgling right. bonsai enthusiast who really hadn't had any connecting here? Right. Because I was living here when I was right. collecting trees in the mountains and doing some stuff. Yeah, on your own, yeah. And um, so we went into his backyard, and here was this forest of pines, and he was using iron wire. Wow. And just junk stuff. And these, a lot of these pines, like the one he had was quite rangy, mm. kind of like yours, only mm. much more so, you know, branches this long. And he, and oh, he, no, wound, no, oh, he wound up compressing that down mm-hmm. with this wire. Underneath it was just this nightmare <laughs> of big wire and poles, uh-huh. all this stuff to compress it right. down to these pads. Right. So they just looked sensational. And many of them had an ashiki bar. So Naturally. I was the first person to ever really see the Nishiki red pines from Korea. Right. And I wrote about it at some point, And then finally some Japanese guys heard about it. And in the late 60s, started going to Japan. I mean, started going to Korea right. to try to find some of these right. thick bark, yeah. red pines, Densifloras. Yeah. And um, anyhow, so I've got one that I got from this guy, or no, I didn't get this, this is one I collected, but I got, I bought several of them from him and I had them and I had a permit to bring them in, mm. even though they were hard pines. Mm. And it was illegal from Japan, but it was okay from Korea. Huh. Huh. But the problem is I had to ship them by boat. Oh uh, no. And how are you gonna do it? <laughs> and so I hadn't figured out how I was gonna do it, but I was gonna try to create them and do it in the fall oh, and have an auxiliary water supply somehow mm-hmm. that would give a slow 
drip. Right. And maybe some batteries to give them a little extra light. Right. I tried to figure out how trees, I was thinking about here with the heavy snow loading. Mm-hmm. Is there any light under 10 feet of snow? <laughs> right. You know, do trees survive in the dark? Right. For right. three months on a boat? Right. Mm-hmm. Without any light on the foliage? I right. just didn't know, you know, but I was going to give it a try. And then I got shipped out on emergency leave. And so I brought one tree and a bunch of seeds hmm. and uh, left all that other stuff there at the water point. So those guys had these both side trees. <laughs> God only knows, but right. it was just fabulous. And you still have the tree yeah. that you brought over? Yeah. Wow. It's on the floor in the store, right behind <laughs> where you've been standing there. We'll lift it up. I planted on a rock about six years ago. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful tree. And all the seeds you brought back, you still have? Well, that's what all the pines are. Okay, the landscape. Okay. Yeah. So I planted those in 62 or 63 or something. So what did you open the nursery? What year? In 73. We opened in 74. Mm-hmm. We got on the land. Okay. And we cleared it. And then we collected stuff for nearly a year because we were looking for dirt. Mm-hmm. There was no dirt. Where did you find it at? Six inches of dirt and then you're into cans and bottles. Right. Okay. So. Yeah. So we finally, in the fall of the first year of 73, we got a line and bought uh, 35,000 yards of dirt for a dollar a yard delivered because they had to get rid of it. (laughs) I was going to say, yeah. You know, that's the thing. You can always buy dirt, but, you know, we didn't have any money to do this whole thing. We put the buildings up. Didn't which were greenhouse it? buildings because they're inexpensive. And so right. we're, we're still kind of fighting that, but right. Right. they've worked. And right. we built that addition that where you're working over there. And so mm. it's kind of shaky, but it's lasted for 30 years. Right. And so yeah. and it's just quite quaint. High tides a little. <laughs> yeah. A little Gravel right. floor and kind of drips. and Right. But only, nat- only natural. Life you know. goes on. Yeah. yeah. Dan, didn't you say at some point uh, that... The, a lot of the dirt that you trucked in came from some kind of a landslide nearby or something? Well, yeah, we got Ultimately, we hauled in several hundred thousand yards. Mm. That whole hill in between us and the highway, that was a hole. It dropped down from the highway 30 feet deep out there where Williams Building is and mm-hmm. everything. But initially, I just wanted the dirt for the bonsai garden. Mm-hmm. So we hauled in all of that initial stuff so that we could build the garden, so that I could build the garden. So let me, you know? let me, let me try to piece And so while we were waiting for the dirt the first year, what we did buy right away in the, in the, yeah, we opened in the fall of 94. So the first year we collected stuff, but what I did in the fall in anticipation of getting the permit so it took us a couple of years to get the permit for the property. From the city, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Because it was in a wildlife preserve. Okay. And it's a garbage dump. Right. And the only proviso you had to... The proviso was that if you're going to do something, it had to have to do with gardening and or education. Mm-hmm. So that might not be easy. But, so we bought a boom truck. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because to lift anything, you got to have a boom truck. Right. So we bought a boom truck and an auction for... Twelve thousand dollars or something, like that. and that truck lifted rocks and logs and every every uh, weekend. 
we'd go down to the ocean, near the ocean, in the woods down there, to collect cedar chunks, logs, and root things, all of that gnarly stuff you see in the garden. Mm -hmm. And all during the week, William was going to school. And during the week, I'd use the boom truck and go out and logging areas and collect rocks. Mm. Big rocks. So I had this huge inventory of my kind of product mm. of logs and rocks. Mm. All I needed was the dirt. So we're waiting for the dirt. And finally, this construction job came up in Fort Orchard where they we're going to haul out 35,000 yards of dirt, and we, yeah, we'll deliver it for a dollar a yard. And so they truckload after truck, you know, 350 <laughs> truckloads came in there. And we just built mounds, and William got done with school in November. This was uh, what, what year? In uh, 73. Okay. Yeah, we got on the land in 73. We opened in 74. So he, he got done with his school in November or December of 73, and we started composing the garden. Mm. And so we just started way out at the far end, and we had these piles of dirt around, and we just, we had a backhoe for a while and some lesser equipment, but it was all, I had a, I'd been there when they were hauling the dirt in, so I had them just, I knew that we wanted to have a big canyon over there, and mm -hmm. the big oh, pond was yeah. kind of an afterthought, but I didn't put any dirt there. I knew I was going to have a pond, but it didn't um, didn't develop the way I wanted it to. It's only kind of partially done, and, mm -hmm. but it's really quite fabulous, mm -hmm. and it's all about the ingredients, so there's a lot of big logs and big rock. Right, mm -hmm. right, as you said. Yeah. And mounds, Yeah, and that's mm -hmm. all you really need. Mm -hmm. And you can really just do it with mounds and bark, but at least have elevational changes and have surprises. Right, so every right. corner yeah. is a new vista. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I saw Whereas if it's flat, it's self-defining. Mm -hmm. It's real flat. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to connect the dots here. So, okay, so you used to find dead wood, bring it over, cut it up, have that approach with the with the, the apple trees. Grandfather's, you know, yeah. And then you're going to school for but I'm finding interesting and, gnarly wood. Yeah, yeah. Being infatuated then, with that on some level. Right. And then but that's much, stuff. that's 15 years earlier. That's, right. And then you go to Korea and have that in, that influence of like, wow, this is what I've wanted. Yeah. But I was already back. involved going over there right. with right. the bonsai. But this is kind of, wow, here's the real right. McCoy. And he had one of these, right. for God's sake. <laughs> it's the real deal. What else is there? And then you come back. What prompted you to want to open a bonsai nursery well i didn't okay and i didn't do that then it took a while okay i just came back and went more into the landscape business okay i mean this is the early 60s right, right. we didn't start elandon until 90 93 yeah yeah you know 30 years later six 50 50 years later or whatever okay and so i was a landscaper and a tree pruning guy right. from the early 60s until I landed in gardens in 93. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, like I say, 30 years. Right. And when did you get on at the fire department? In 67 or 68. So, so I was a landscaper, mm -hmm. and I did a landscaping job for a captain on the fire department. Mm -hmm. He said, you ought to become a fireman. Mm -hmm. You can 
still do do landscaping because you work one day and you're off too. Mm -hmm. You know, 24 or 48, you're working. And, um, and so I said, hey, yeah. And so in the fall, I took the test to mm. become a fireman. And of course, came out first because I've always been really fit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, but time. I was 28 years old. Okay. Yeah. And simultaneous with that, I met this lady uh, okay. on the beach. Right. Mm -hmm. as you said. And so there weren't any surprises, but it was quite nice. Mm. And um, so three months after we got married, I became a fireman. Mm. And then that um, just kind of, okay. So it's all about landscaping jobs firefighting which is not you just kind of do that right right working on trees on duty mm, in the because it's a hobby yeah and uh, off days well i'll go up in the mountains and see what i can find and, and then we started having kids going uh, going going three years later wow. or something like that and that didn't change too much but after a while i took them up in the mountains with me right mm. right and so they all became tree collecting kind of kids they point them out during the week mm. when nobody's up there. Mm. See, so oh, I went oh, yeah. saddled into weekends when everybody else is right. wherever mm. they are. But right. this is open country, so that you can still find open spaces, even though you're doing it on weekends. But... And so most of the time I was up in the Cascades here. And if I came up with one or two good trees a year, that was a bunch, and so the collection grew because nothing ever died. Right. Because I never ripped them. What's the, what I didn't start the... losing trees until I started learning about bonsai. <laughs> <laughs> Something too. <laughs> what's what, what would you say is the the longest the tree that's the longest in the pot in your garden right now? Oh, I got I've got some from '57. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I've got one right out here. That's the thing that blows my I got mind. It one out here. Everything I've ever been told. There's one I, I grew from a seed that I collected in my freshman year in college. I, I, and we were out in a class called dendrology, mm -hmm. and it was conifers. Mm -hmm. And we were looking at a Port Orford cedar in the parking lot at the University of Washington, mm -hmm. and it had seeds on there. Mm -hmm. And I grabbed some of those little cones. Mm -hmm and took them to my grandmother's house, who I was living with my freshman year, mm. which was in the U District up in Seattle, and she put them in a pot on our kitchen window. And three little Port Orford cedars grew up there, and I still have one of those mm. out here in the bonsai pot. I'll show it to you, it's right outside. Yeah. And, uh, um, and now that wasn't really my first bonsai, that was just a seedling. Right, right. But I bought a tree from my from the nursery that my uncle had. Remember, my uncle Bud was the landscaper, and so I was right. collecting trees in the mountains and selling them to that nursery, and sometimes helping him with some landscaping jobs. Right. And just being very cognizant of special landscapers in Seattle, this Ken Kelly guy. Yeah. Because he was using dead wood, and things looked very natural, like what I see in the mountains. Right. And I just had this affinity for that, probably because as a kid, 
I spent all this time on the beaches yeah. collecting driftwood and gnarly <laughs> right. stuff. And Coming so full I, circle. As a matter of fact, on one of the islands up there, and I'll, I'll never forget it, there was this vertical cliff on the end of this island, and there was a cascading Douglas fir that hung down that cliff and then spread out 40 feet above the beach and that beautiful cascade. And I remember every time I'd, well, later on, I finally got a motor when I was 14, so I never rode again, but I was quite strong <laughs> by that time. Right, right. And I, every time I'd go past, I'd just marvel at that look at that thing, even before I was involved with bonsai. Right. Just, and so this was, look at that shape of that tree. Yeah. That's really something. And then I remember uh, somebody built a house and they cut it off. And oh, man. It, it's still on the beach, crumpled. Right. At the base of the cliff. And I thought, it's like this giant cedar that was down here. Yeah. Suddenly people come in. People are just the ruination. <laughs> well, it's like the, the one you said, um, with the, the really gaudy houses where they fell the tree and they eventually well, cut it down. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. what we were oh, just yeah. saying down there. Yeah. Yeah. A thousand year old cedar, right? yeah. six foot wide one. Yeah, just it would fill this space here. Mm -hmm. It went up to this dead, dead oh. snag top that went straight up. Right. And uh, leaning away from the house, you know, no danger to anything, and it's been there forever, so it isn't going to fall down. <laughs> right, right, right. You know. Right. It's natural habitat. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, let's cut that down and keep the maples. I mean, you remember there were all these maples around, and I said, you know, if I lived here, these maples would be gone. <laughs> <laughs> they did the so, so they cut the tree down and leave the maples. <laughs> they heard you. Yeah. They heard you. Like, no, no, you got, you got it all wrong. <laughs> so then... You know, going back to when you were doing your trees and you know working on them and styling them the way you wanted, how did you go about doing like um, events and things? Because there's you know I've seen doing what? events like, like, like demonstration. Well, um, I saw articles. photos of that, but like when did that okay, start? Okay, so in the uh, about um, there was a, a bonsai. Every time I go out to my uncle's nursery, which was out in North Seattle, mm. I'd go past this greenhouse building and I could see bonsai through the window mm. and um, finally I stopped mm. one time and got up closer and looked through the window never went in some Japanese guy in there mm. and just seemed like well yeah, there's little trees in there mm -hmm. and hardly right. little trees he wasn't selling them mm. it was just his own collection or something it, mm -hmm. it was a floral kind of a thing yeah and um so that, you know, there's somebody doing that. And um, probably about, I don't think it was after, it was almost until 1965 or 66 that um, I um, stopped at that nursery because there was a white guy inside and I went in. Mm -hmm. And it was um, Dr. Bruner oh. was in there. Now, he was the precursor to bonsai in Seattle, probably from the white man's standpoint. And he was a member of a club hmm. called the Bonsai Bums, which were all doctors. Oh, wow. And there was one lady in the club named Connie Raphael. Hmm. And um, 
they would meet maybe once a month at one or another's house and mm. and he was very avid about bonsai he was a dermatologist but an old guy mm. and he was in there and so i met him mm. and um we just kind of talked and mm. you know i didn't um told him yeah i've got quite a few trees i've been collecting them in the mountains and I like the, the old stuff, you know. Like, where have you he's been? just kind of. Because he had always gone to Arboretum plant sales, right, uh, right. bought little plants, right. and taken them to his property out down here, ways, yeah. and planted them in the ground, yeah, and way. trained them in the ground. He'd dig them up right. on Sunday and take some into town because mm. he lived on Queen Anne mm. in Seattle. And he'd work on the tree, and then he'd take them back and plant them in the ground. Mm -hmm. And this was his modus operandi. And there was this club that they met, and this Japanese guy in that thing was the sensei, mm -hmm. Kelly Nishitani. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I kind of met him there. And then I had a an aunt who lived over in West Seattle. And um, we went to dinner at her house or something, and... Two neighbors away was a guy with some bonsais in his yard. Mm. And I guess maybe he was out in his yard, a guy named Willard Livingston. And um, I talked to him, and he was a member of that bonsai box. Oh, wow. And he said, well, why don't you, I'll pick you up at the ferry. Mm. You can bring one of your trees and come to the meeting. There's one in, in a week or so. Mm. And I think this actually happened after I married. Well, I got married in 67. So, mm. I mean, so I went for seven years mm -hmm. after this Korean thing. Mm. Now all my seeds were growing mm. and I'm training them into kind of bone size and I'm living out in the country down there and people would come by and occasionally someone would stop in who was a bonsai kind of person. So I had some contact, but no real connection with anybody. Mm -hmm. mm. And so anyhow, I, I took one of my, I uh, had some uh, Arctostaphylus media. That's the, um, what the hell is it? It's the um, Manzanita. Mm. Oh, yeah. With a trunk about this big. Yeah. That looked like a miniature Madrone. Mm. Oh, wow. You know, with red berries on it. I'm right. just a fabulous thing. Right. Took that on the ferry, carried it on the boat. <laughs> <laughs> you probably got so many looks. <laughs> and like, he, what is this guy doing? And he met me coming off the, the ferry and took me to this meeting. So that Lee Bouchot's house, I'll never forget it, it's up near Green Lake. And, uh, you know, I walk in here, all these old fogey old <laughs> doctors and stuff, right. come in with this, you know, and they've never seen anything Everyone's like it. And, uh, yeah, oh you know, sal saliva everywhere, you know, it got <laughs> slippery on the floor. Right? It's terrible. And, uh, oh, my. So that was great fun. So I became the cub member okay. of the Bonsai Bombs. Well, simultaneous. So we, we had some club meetings and we actually talked about some stuff and started conceptualizing about de developing the Puget Sound Bonsai Society mm -hmm. to bring together these disparate small clubs into a bigger union. And so that would have been in 67 or 68, like mm -hmm. I said, in 69, we had a bonsai big bonsai show up at the art museum in downtown Seattle up in oh. Volunteer Park mm -hmm. in the museum. It was just quite fabulous. And mm -hmm. it, it was the bonsai bums mm -hmm. and the Japanese men's group mm -hmm. 
and the Mary Mockey group. Mm. Everybody was, and so it was this great show. And of course, mm. I was excited because mm. all all of my early time, I was I felt this was going to be an art that was going to just sweep the world because <laughs> right. it was so fabulous. Right. It's like you. Yeah. You have this. Yeah. This uh, impression also that it, yeah. anything this wonderful, everybody, <laughs> everyone needs yeah. to do it. Is yeah. going to be doing it, and that's everyone the way it is. That I'm going to be part of it, <laughs> right? And I, and I just dreamt about that. Mm. And for the next um, twenty years, that certainly was the case mm. for me because um, then I started uh, putting on demonstrations for some of the local clubs and going in as a club advisor and. Um, this kind of stuff because I had really great trees right, and, right. and I knew what you did and I, I um, you know I tried to learn what you could so I brought the bought the book Brooklyn Botanic books oh yeah you know there, there's two of them you know Was that and you I did? remember particularly interested in in the information on collecting in the wild and oh. here was this tiny little chapter and, each, <laughs> and here's this whole book of all these rules of stuff, and here's this thing on what I cared about, right. and they didn't know anything about it. I mean, right. I've been doing that for years. What do you mean you yeah, do it right. that way? Right. You know, you, this year you go and cut this root, right. and then next year you cut this one. Right. You know, and it's, oh, come on, just do it all at once. <laughs> you know. Was that, Anyhow, when, uh, was that when Yuji was doing at the book? Yeah, he started in the early 60s. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he moved from, uh, right. he got booted out of his family's nursery mm. over in Japan. Mm. And moved to up, upstate New York. I can't remember the name of the town. Someplace and started that whole thing, and then Bill Valvenis right. affiliated with him, and it became a classical bonsai. Right, right. With all the concurrent rules, right, and those they invented, right. You know, and and, uh, and, and all the ladies' groups joined and. Yuji would get out there with two cigarettes and talk to him about bonsai and bring in his dwarf Alberta spruce and mm. fart around with it. <laughs> so then, when you're doing all these clubs and uh, demonstrations and you know advising and consulting, if you will, yeah. When did you meet John Naka? Like, when, how did he come about? In this? Well, when we formed Puget Sound Society, yeah, we started inviting guest lecturers. Okay. And so, um, John Nako would have been very active. I, it seemed to me that um, sometime into the late 60s, with Diane being around and me being interested in bonsai, we started doing some traveling to California. Mm-hmm. And because um, I, I needed pots. Mm-hmm. You know, I had these bottoms off of hot water tanks. <laughs> right. We had Trident Imports in Seattle that were bringing a few in. That was down on the waterfront, mm. right next to the ye old curiosity shop, which you never saw that either. Mm. That was this great store right next to the ferry that had all these curiosities. Mm-hmm. No bonsai. Mm. Anyhow, there was this Trident Imports, and they sometimes had a bonsai pot. Mm. You know, oh, an actual right. thing, you know, so... But we went to L.A. Somehow I knew. I knew. I guess it was. I guess it was after I met John because he's the one who told me 
about Matsuda's. Matsuda was um, a, a bonsai pot provider okay. for LA. Oh, wow. And had this connection in Japan for those gray, raven gray, beautiful pots and and all this stuff. And um, somehow early on, I went down to John's house hmm. and told him that I had to get some bonsai pots. And so he wrote me a letter of introduction oh, wow. to this guy, Matsuda, hmm. who had this collection of pots for sale. And th this was really something. And it was in the La Brea Tar Pits area. I don't know if you know anything about L.A., but there, tarpits, and, yeah. and the La Brea area is where the tar pits are. Yeah. And it was a very primitive area hmm. then. And this guy had some chicken coops out there. So some of the ground was actually still kind of farmed, maybe. Yeah. yeah. This guy had this chicken coop. I'll never forget driving in there. And here was this low house and you know i showed him this letter and he didn't speak hardly any english you know <laughs> and he opened the door it's and rows of bonsai pots oh, wow. you jaw dropping as far as you can see we're just gonna, <laughs> there's a guy <laughs> yeah diane was with me we'll have to reminisce about that that was really <laughs> really something yeah this guy matsuda and um Kobe Trading Company. Mm. Look up Kobe Trading Company and see if it still He's exists. Still right. Finally, he died, and then she had a bunch of money, and so she built a nice building mm -hmm. for all the pots. Kobe Trading Company, and that would be in uh, what part of LA is that? Uh, oh, I could drive there, but I can't remember the name. It's been a long time. Right, right. This a lot has changed geographically. 50 years ago. With, with a um, name like that, there's got to be a bunch of Kobe. Yeah. Well, you know, with the influence in Seattle, you know, especially Seattle, with the Japanese community that was here yeah. prior to... I really had nothing ever to do with it. Never, okay. But when we formed Puget Sound both sides, see, there was the men's group. Right. But they were all Japanese-speaking. Oh, Japanese only. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And although there was this big uh, Japanese uh, retail store downtown, I never really somehow got involved with it. I mean, it went, if I needed a, a pot, and I didn't really need many pots because I didn't really have finished trees. A lot of time, right, yeah. So any kind of pot would do. Right. And, um, but um, anyhow, Kobe Trading Company. So for years, I would go down there and buy pots. And, uh, and then, uh, and I had pots, so. Hmm. But we formed Puget Sound Bonsai Society, I think in 71 or something like that. Hmm. We had that giant big bonsai show in 69 hmm. at the art museum, and then everything kind of fulminated into, okay, let's form this hmm. society. Of course, I was on the board. The Dr. Bruno yeah. was on the board, Connie hmm. Raphael, a lot of people from the, from the men's bonsai group, but all these other groups just kind of dissolved into that okay. and ultimately by the mid 80s we were up to 500 members wow it was one of the biggest ones anywhere right yeah and then That's came cell phones huh. <laughs> <laughs> You're and now that. they're lucky to have 100 people in the club like i know bonsai society of portland is at 500 members 
And um, well, that's crazy, but there was uh, several people down there that were good in bonsai, and I was affiliated with Tim Boyle, who was an early, early guy in that club down there. It's really kind of festered along right. for years, and then right. with uh, Ryan Neal and, and uh, Michael Hegedorn, and these guys coming in with real training. Right. That has done what it's done, which I'm not sure, but I I was down there for a club meeting a couple of years ago, maybe four years ago, with a guest artist, Larry Jackal, who is the curator of the Botanic Garden in Denver. Mm -hmm. He came out and did a program, and I drove down and picked him up because he's an old buddy, and we came up here. and, and, uh, And so I went to that meeting, and then I've been down there to a couple of shows they've had. They're way out on the southwest side of Portland and yeah. out there in the yeah. area. And I uh, saw, so, and then of course there was the big show that Ryan Neal put on down there, which was a fabulous. You know, I kicked myself because uh, I was living a, two blocks away from that show. Oh, wow. And I <laughs> was into bonsai, but not like I am now by the lifestyle. You know? Yeah. My wife, girlfriend at the time, Wife now she's like, hey, you want to go to this thing? Because she was doing her master's degree in Japanese yeah. teaching, so they, had, you know, I'm like, no, that's cool, it's, it's all right. And then I find out, I was like, wait a minute, but wait a minute, this is the this is the <laughs> this, biggest thing in, the, in the world, of, of, <laughs> in a way of all things that I I passed. <laughs> well, yeah, like, so as of all the reflection that we've done, today, it's been a great conversation. Hmm. You oh, know, well, actually, I learned a lot that I. Had I heard in what five years volunteering with me still? Well, I've never really uh, been asked all get into a retrospective very much, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, I hope that was all right. Uh, he really never really uh, interviewed me for the book. Oh, really? It was just uh, stuff he's extrapolated. How did, uh, that, how did that book come about? Cause yeah, that would be well, um, you didn't write it. I right? had the garden. And this guy showed up. Turned out he's a psychiatrist. Okay. He's been in bonsai for quite a few years. Started in Memphis. Oh, wow. Where Brussels is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Started with a few nice trees, then moved to uh, um, New Mexico, where most of them died because it was hot and dry. And uh, But he still kept the passion. And then, then he moved up here and. It's, Drove by and saw this sign bonsai and mm. happened in and mm. we started talking about stuff and he just wanted to uh, capture my thing. Yeah, yeah. and uh, he did just a great job. He yeah. did all the photography, most mm. about 99% of it. Um, Vicky and Eric did some photography stuff, but mm-hmm. um, and um, we went collecting together and all kinds of stuff. So we did the photography and yeah. just a, an unbelievably talented, dedicated guy. Is, and so anyhow, yeah. but he left this to me. It's just a fabulous right. book because as much as I wanted to write a book, it, it's a lot of work. It's mm-hmm. kind of funny. The only book I ever thought about writing, and this was years ago, uh-huh. the only as far as I got in the book was the cover picture. <laughs> and it, the name of the book was going to be The Congenital Defect. 
and on the cover was a guy like Trump. Okay. In a cowboy outfit with double holsters and big guns. <laughs> and this was what America is composed of. Mm. Mm. Because what we all are, are misfits in this country. We ran away That's true. from That's where true. we started. It's the fighting spirit. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. you can laud that or yeah. abuse it. Yeah. But that's what the composition of this country is. And mm. here we're living yeah. no. living in it right now. Mm. You know? Anyhow, yeah, yeah. that was no, the yeah. only book I ever thought I ever wanted to yeah. write. I, yeah. I mean, I kind of started to write about my bonsai thing. Like some articles. I think I'd really rather be... Yeah, I did a lot of articles um, as I see it. Mm. Oh, gotcha. Was the, the, yeah. the titles That's of them. Because it was different than what other people, and I had photographs. Right. And, and most of this I did on, at the fire department because mm. uh, I had the time. Right, right. Mm. And I'm locked in. Right, right. Mm. But once I'm free, I'm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whether it's pruning for somebody or right. going up and finding stuff. In all this time, did you ever journal your, for yourself? No. Never? Yeah, I once asked him uh, if he like recorded the dates and when he did certain operations oh. <laughs> on his trees and he's like, Oh, if I did that, I'd spend all my time record keeping and not enough time actually right, right. doing bonsai. Yeah. I, just, I ran into somebody the other day that was so pissed at this lady that he was working for because she was into that. Oh. And this was what's most important is the record keeping. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess it's, it's my grandson. He works oh. in the Navy Yard, and okay. and he's atomic energy guy. Okay. Uh-huh. And there's this lady that is Very doing much. the accounting, yeah. keeping track of this stuff, and he says, I just hate her. <laughs> All she does is get down to the tiny little <laughs> minuscule details of every little movement. Anyhow, no, I, I never really did any of that kind of stuff other than to write stories about the trees. Mm. And so I've got a, a book over here of, of uh, 50 or so trees that I've written. They're stories because the stories are wonderful. Mm. And uh, I would like to get all those new signs because mm. those new signs are really nice. Mm. Well, except they're, that they're so replete with mistakes. You know, the problem is that I write things. Mm. I have the round hand. Okay. And it's endlessly legible. <laughs> but nobody writes anymore. Right. And I passed my book off to some young thing who doesn't know what that word is and yeah. it's just totally wrong. She yeah. puts it on the sign and it's just oh, what's that word? Because <laughs> she couldn't read the right. writing because right. she doesn't know what writing is. Right. Everything cursive, is printed. Right. It's cursive yeah. too. Yeah. So... Uh-huh. Like I said, I have my problems with with being uh, an atavism. You know what an atavism is? I do not. An inaccurate historical event. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. I come from an earlier time when <laughs> when people wrote the round hand. With uh, with all your time in bonsai, what as far as future for now going forward? You know, you've been through the quarantine. We've survived what we've been to now. We're in twenty twenty two. You know. Yeah. What are what are the things you're looking forward to with your with your practice, your career, just 
with your... Goodness, I don't really have... Um, any aspirations for anything new? Nothing great, just uh, working on the material that I've got. Gotcha. I've got a whole bunch of stuff down there that I haven't done anything. I saw the container. But I'm so disciplined to take care of what I've got. Right. And, you know, spending five days on that redwood tree. Right. Right. I love it. Right. But I think about, oh, you know, there's that mountain hemlock out there. that Salivating on <laughs> getting working. And working with new material is pretty fabulous. But the way I go about working with the old material, it's just as good as the new. Right. Except that it's better. Right. Because it has all of these historical things that I did right. Yeah. Great Nabari or great hollow right. trunk to deal with. Right. Whereas a new tree is all... I have to spontaneously figure out how do I impose mm. these features on this so that that trunk just consumes the visual appetite. Right. Mm. I mean, that's the deal. It's all about the trunk right. and that branch pattern. Right. And, um, and seeing it. And so sparsing is huge. And it's the opposite of what they wanted to show. Right. Right? So I never get... I never do well in judging, right? <laughs> right, right? Because it's just too. What the hell is this? <laughs> you know, where are the where are the leaves right. on this tree? Right, right. <laughs> it's like your ghost tree. You oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so you know, I just kind of laugh at it because I just don't care. Right. I have great visits of people coming to the garden. Right. And and the most wonderful thing to hear is I've never seen anything like this. Mm -hmm. That, that to me is the ultimate reward right. for all of this effort, right. as they've never seen anything like it. Do you think you have that uh, essence about it because you weren't classically trained like in Japan? You know, you don't have that bloodline of this well, is my sensei. Certainly you know, that, that plus the experience that I had right. was being just immersed in natural things. Right. You in know, the, from, in the environment, from really, rowing the yeah. boat and dragging logs yeah. to driftwood to. Yeah seeing the beaches in their primordial state right before we came along and cleaned them all up right build houses with them. and um and so i i think that that historical imperative and the way it exudes for me as i'm working on trees and the spontaneous um addiction that i have for not planning things right. like other than having the tools. <laughs> yeah. You know, don't draw a picture of it first. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have this dream of this perfect branch because I had a hemlock once that, that had this wonderful, wonderful shape that roils in my mind. Mm. And so here's this trunk mm. and here's this branch that leaves the trunk and meanders down and then comes up and goes back over the top of it. Mm, mm. And so you see this whole right. structure mm. with this embrace. <laughs> and every once in a while, I have a long enough branch where I think, hey, I'm going <laughs> to make gotta, it happen. Because I, I, I had a hemlock that had mm. that branch naturally, and I sold it to a guy, and he was a, he was a, pet doctor hmm. he died and I'm wondering how that tree is because I know his wife was devoted to it but I, hmm. I'll never forget that branch 
Mm. It's funny how some things just... Mm. And I, I've got a great thing to show you down at the garden. Yeah. I, I was on another hemlock tree, and I found this... Uh, I don't know why I cut it off, but I, for some reason it had to come off the tree, but it just it's this wonderful uh, dead wood looking thing you know it's only this long and mm. this big around but it's uh it's it has the it has like like this the shari on the outside mm. and then it's decayed inside and then there's a shaft from the hardwood that sounds so cool going out and it, it's only this big and i use it as a brace on a branch so i know right where it is right right I can walk right to it. So <laughs> it's like, oh, right there, it's holding. Every this, time. It's propping this branch up a little bit <laughs> on one of my mountain hemlocks out there. But just certain um, certain elements just to live in my memory. Yeah, yeah. And um, they kind of. I don't ever really necessarily use them, but I <laughs> I think about those things, and they're all naturally done. Man's handiwork is um, sensational. I'm looking at that sculpture that mm. that that's a roof tile, you know, from China. Oh wow! And yeah. I, I look that's at, roof I tile. mean, it's incredible what those early guys used to do. You just don't see okay. that kind of stuff right. anymore. Right. It's all it's like modern architecture. It's it's box. Yeah. It's plain and. Open and soft, <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, I have a neat tree in here, right? At least, right, you know? right. I have something to look at that's opposing, that's me. intrinsically beautiful, and you yeah. can consume yourself in the naturalness of it yeah. rather than this artifice. Of I mean, it, it's kind of like our society with this, um, this um, perversion of the word virtual. Mm. Virtual means real. Mm. I'm sorry, mm. but it doesn't mean that anymore. Mm. Now it means online. <laughs> online or computer, yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't think about it like that. It's yeah. just kind of, huh? Yeah, yeah that's, that's a good point. <laughs> Here's this fake thing. This is virtual. <laughs> right. Um, wait a minute. <laughs> what what world do you come from? <laughs> what this mean? So how do, what, what keeps you going? You know, I, I find this as I'm starting uh -huh. to get more of that. And Ryan and I talked about this. We asked other people. And just the, the, I've been asked this by day one begins. Like, how do you keep going? What keeps you going? And have you ever gotten bored? I'm like, if I'm getting bored, it means I'm not doing something right. But what did you say? The only that? thing that uh, bores me is uh, is having to do with mediocrity. Mm -hmm. But that detailed wiring wasn't mediocre. Right. But detailed wiring on a, a little goddammit. I call anything that's little a goddammit. <laughs> Because it's going to die. Right, right. And somebody's going to buy it and they won't know what to do with it. And, and, mm -hmm. But they sell. Right. And so having to be on some level persistently producing some product mm -hmm. to add to the store. Mm -hmm. um, I've got a bunch, I've got a flat out here of this is their first year as a grafted understock with Hanoki cypress on it it's this high and mm -hmm. I'll wire it and do a little bit of this and it's a beautiful little thing nope, nope, but I'll do nope, one nope, and then nice. I'll say you know if I spent another hour and a half or two hours on it it would really be terrific 
because they put the little fine wire on. Right. Mm. And I can't sell it for that. Right. And so I'm assailed by that sometimes, but I never flag in terms of my zeal. Mm. And it's mainly because I really think that that garden down there is so extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And it's... Um, size and composition and unbelievable stuff that um, I can't abandon it. Right, right. And I don't really want to anyhow. Right. And I'm physically fit enough that I can do it all day. I mean, I thought you picking up pots today that most guys our age wouldn't even pick up. I do. (laughs) I do my 80 push-ups every morning and... (laughs) Keeps me shoulders good, and I got shitty balance and some of that stuff, but uh, I can yeah. deal with that. Let somebody it, else you know. hold me up, I'll lift it up for you. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, you know, that kind of thing. So I keep a real able, on some sense, of, you know, there's a machine downstairs that I should get on and do yeah, something for cool. cardiovascular. Yeah. I had a heart issue uh, five years ago, I guess. I had a uh, heart attack Oof. of sorts. It was a wasn't the usual one. It was a um, calcium block okay. on one of my coronary arteries, and I don't have any plaque. Interesting. But I've got calcium that right. blocked one of the arteries, and so they had to grind it out of there. And mm. then everything was fine, and I don't have any heart disease, so I don't mm. have to do anything. Then I had a, a, a dorsal aorta expansion okay. put in, stint, I guess you call it. Yeah. They said, well, maybe it'll give you more energy, but I, I always had well, you always been up all and the energy that I'm I had. Cutting wood. Wood. I'm cutting wood. <laughs> you know, the, the doctors, it seems, it's kind of interesting, but once they get a hold of you, <laughs> then they kind of do their best, come up with all the Mm -hmm. things they can possibly do to make things more better. Mm -hmm. So that's applaudable, Mm. you know. And luckily I'm a fireman with endless insurance, and so, Mm. oh, okay. Yeah, Yeah, whatever you think. And Mm. So I had those things done last Christmas. I had that expansion done, and I don't notice any difference, but I work all day and can prone all day long and right. be up on a 12-foot ladder and mm. cut thousands of shoots, <laughs> which you have to do. Right. And I'm pretty good with harder work, but I don't do enough of it mm. to be in great shape for it, but I can still pull it off and do it. Mm-hmm. I just pay for it for a couple of days afterwards, right. saying, well, I haven't done that for a while. Right. Feel that cramp, feel that cramp. That yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So I'm not really in great shape, but I'm able because mm. I've got the resources mm. to pull it out if I have to. So just able to do it. Mm. And so I try to maintain that deliberately um, avoiding machines that would do it easier mm. just so I'll be able to do it mm. if I don't have a machine. Mm. I don't think much about going collecting anymore. Mm-hmm. When was the last time you went? Oh, it's been a couple of years now. Yeah. You know, the COVID thing. We can't go to Canada. 
Right. Oh, yeah. Right. And I go out every once in a while and dig trees out of people's yards here. Mm-hmm. You know, we dug that big. Well, you haven't seen the super azalea. Oh, well, the world's we'll biggest. The world's biggest dwarf azalea is at the garden. Yeah. Some of the trunks are this big on a dwarf it's a evergreen cl- azalea. Cluster. <laughs> All cluster, this big. And cluster, then the branches are cluster of wider than my arms can It was reach. 16 feet wide and 8 feet tall when I saw it in this guy's yard. And uh, When was the last time you went collecting just like in the mountains around here? I mean, I don't know. I've never been around here for 25 years. Oh, okay. Because there just isn't anything here that's as good as I can drive up to the north end of Vancouver Island right. and find fabulous things, or Mount Hood. Mm-hmm. Mount Hood's got a lot. The Cascades here are real tough, because by the time you can get up there, it's too late to dig them. Right. Which means you got to do it in the early fall, and by then, let's go to Canada. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So, and um, it's tough in these Cascades. You got to get real high to really get great stuff. High yeah. Alpine, yeah. And, and they're the, real steep. The high areas are protected, or in a lot of places around the Cascades. Well, it could be. I, I don't ever ask. Yeah. <laughs> um, although I do get a permit going down to Mount Hood because you can have. Yeah. They'll give you fifteen trees, and you got a whole year to get them. And as long as they don't exceed so many twenty-eight yeah. inches or something yeah. in height, or, and, and yeah, and you don't have to check in. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of a giveaway. Mm-hmm. So much easier in Ohio. Ohio, they deny us every time. Yeah. yeah. Um, have you considered possibly like going with someone, but having them dig it for you, and you pick out what you want? Oh, you know, being like, I suppose you do the dirty work. I'll pick yeah. the tree. <laughs> but I don't mind digging. Right, right, right. I mean, none of this stuff is that tough. Right. What stuff is going into the Rockies mm. and going up to eighty-five hundred feet and climbing mm. and. You know, taking big crowbars and all that kind of stuff. Right. Up in Canada, it's a bog. Oh, okay. And down on Mount Hood, it's it's that alluvial, gray, yeah. volcanic, rock. volcanic yeah. dust, and all the yeah. roots are right, right there. Right there. It's kind of like the bald cypress, except tearing them off the substrate. Sometimes you needed a machine. Mm. Right. Right. Yeah, the bald cypress. Well, one last question. It's getting late. I know, but we thank you for chatting with us. This has been amazing. Oh, like, yeah. Um, if you could tell, what would you say for new people starting to you keep bet. doing or to, to just get through and learn? What, what, what advice would you give? Yeah. If you boil down all of your experience for the absolute beginner to how to create a naturalistic tree. Well, of course, you got to start with good material. It doesn't have to be great material if you're right. a carver. Right. Mm-hmm. It right. just has to have some size. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So you got to think bigger. Okay. No. No seed to pencil. pencil. I mean, it's okay, but <laughs> start with them in the ground, and then, yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, that's what I tell people: if you if you have to start with little trees, plant them in the ground. You don't have to water them. Mm-hmm. Mother Nature takes care of it. Assuming right. you that midsummer you right. do what you have to do. Right. But train them in the ground, and that's the smartest way for everybody to start. Right. Because you don't have to be dedicated. Right. You can be 
derelict, which everybody is <laughs> yes. sooner or later. Especially in the beginning. Yeah. When yeah. If you go out and spend it. a lot of money on a big tree and then you go to a party in the middle of the summer, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, you got home at 8 o'clock and yeah. it died at 4. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. unless it's Ponderosa. It yeah. <laughs> so they're just that kind of thing. Start with great material. And great just means a certain magnitude right. that you can impose all of these finesses on it so that you will be within hours of having something worthy. Right. Mm -hmm. When you start with a little goddammit, yeah. it's just embarrassing. You go home with this thing and you and she looks at it and says, What is that? Is that all there is? <laughs> and I've all you that. do is yeah. wait. Yeah, yeah. That's the problem. That yeah. You're not learning anything while you wait. Mm -hmm. And starting with baby trees is fraught with waiting. Mm -hmm. okay. And it's a hopeless wait if it's a little tree right. to achieve magnitude in a bonsai right. pot. Right. Because it's a 200-year plant. Right. So there's yeah. just some education that has to be inculcated into the novice's mind mm -hmm. so that they don't get caught up in a waste of time. Right. Right. And so whether that means buying a big plant at a nursery, mm. I mean obviously you want to talk to well, find something with what looks like an interesting trunk. But right. Right. even if it's straight, right, you can carve interest into it. Right. So right. there's no limit. Right. It's just you know and the tools you need, you need a Makita die grinder. Mm. If you're gonna carve and you need it, a yeah. pair of pruners. Yeah, yeah, uh -huh. yeah. And you don't need a cod cave cutter because it's the enemy of good bonsai. <laughs> okay? Because it cuts off all the dead wood. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody told me recently, um, I met Kathy Shane at a national show. Oh, yeah. Really nice person. And I think we were talking about the same thing. You know, we weren't recording, obviously, because it was a national show. But she said, I think it was her, said, somebody told her to tell people that are new, don't buy... 10 trees that are $10 a piece small ones yeah. by one tree that's a hundred dollars that's bigger that gets you the results faster like you're saying yeah because you know if I would have done that I would have still saved more money <laughs> oh, yeah. and my wife wouldn't be as mad at me yeah. <laughs> and you'd save space on your bench exactly you know yeah you just gotta um, you gotta start with some magnitude now I've got some little trees that have as much character did you know Aaron Weichel? Um, he's the curator of the thing at Michigan, University of Michigan. Oh, Lombos, okay. Uh, Michael Hagler's new apprentice is working with that too, I remember. Yeah. Um, um, something Weichel. Uh, heard the name. He just sent me a, a pitch. Oh, okay. Wanting a donation okay. to the University of Michigan's Mm. bonsai collection yeah which he's the curator of and has been for years mm -hmm. anyhow he i first met him um with jerry mm -hmm. I mean, i've lost already like see that. my memory's practically gone it's, but it's late too um yeah um the the ophthalmologist they the were both guy. yeah oh, um, and uh they were confederates and okay. In Ann Arbor, mm. and uh, and uh, he had this bonsai collection, mm. 
and we went to see it out in his yard, and here were a few trees out there. The only thing that was really interesting is he had an American elm. Mm. It was an old one that somehow was a survivor, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. Mm. It wasn't a great tree, but it was an American elm. I've got one, by the way. Oh, nice. And that was a trunk that's that big. Right at the beginning of the garden. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of a shitty thing, but but there it is, and uh, and uh, (laughs) but down in his basement, under lights that were here and the plants were right here, with these tiny little miniature gnarly tropical things that he was working with, and I remember seeing that. Wow, (laughs) wow! (laughs) So it doesn't have to be huge, but. this is a very difficult thing to yeah to well, and pass on to people. Space and size. Size have. counts. Yeah, on yeah. some level. Yeah, it helps. And um, girth in a sense, but not yeah. too big where you can't carry. It. But <laughs> you know, my whole thing is to impose value on that tree sculpturally. Mm-hmm. Um, branch patterns is a craft, mm-hmm. but the sculpture is something totally new. Right. And it can be just unbelievably exciting mm. once you accept it as something that you can do to a tree. I mean, mm. some people are just offended by dead wood at all. So. That's the sense of it, yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> a different, different club you should join. Right. <laughs> this club is, is... But that's that's kind of the direction that I have almost always been with people, is start with something great. Mm. Start with something. And whether you buy it or collect it or get it out of somebody's yard, even if you have to do it late at night, running fast with tree in hand is good <laughs> exercise. Gotta make that a t-shirt. I was hey. I was pointing out a tree that disappeared from my purview after fifty years of want. I've been wanting this azalea in Bremerton for easily fifty years. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, ruby red variety of, of azalea, mm. dwarf evergreen, mm. but just a fabulous red. It isn't the crimson, it's a whole right. different thing, and it's you just don't see any of them. Mm. And here was a big one in this yard, and I was a fireman in that town, and I'd drive by it. <laughs> I could see the trunk and everything. I just somehow never got around to it, and I knocked on doors and bought trees from people. Yeah. For some reason, I just, Didn't well, it's always a busy street. Yeah, very well. And there's never a place to park real easy. And I, you know, uh, uh-huh. oh well. Maybe I bring your construction codes. <laughs> and now it's and now it's gone. The oh, only thing no. gone out of that yard is my azalea. <laughs> and now I'm, I'm pissed enough to want to go in and find out well, where did it go, <laughs> and where do they live, and I'm going to buy that thing after <laughs> that much want. I just have earned it, right? Just right. out of being devoted, <laughs> right? Right. As a devoted fan, <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, yeah. Some things. That's about the only thing that I've really missed out on as I think about it. Mm. There aren't many things that I've seen that I haven't been able to uh, achieve satisfa- satisfaction one way or another mm. on something else that I did. Mm. In other words, I don't see other people's trees and say, oh, God, I've got to have that. Mm. I've got so much stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, and I love it all, whether it's uh, a stalactite from China mm. or whether it's this thing that I bought at the flea market in, in uh, 
in Voilin or something like that. Mm. Just I'm just kind of surrounded with stuff that I love, right. and a lot of it I've found, and so it's endlessly gratifying. Mm. Mm. Um, and then I've got some things that I bought in Korea, and I got I've got the first bonsai that I grew from seed, and I've right. had that for sixty five years, and. Mm whole bunch of other ones that I've had for 60 years and mm. I've got my very first bonsai is out there in the garden it's a mugo pine mm. that uh, I bought at that nursery that my uncle had it was a mugo pine right and I had it trained as the tree on top of the mountain so it hung down on all sides it was kind of a stupid design I guess <laughs> gradually right. the arms kind of died off right oh now it's just one <laughs> one looks real. <laughs> yeah, but the wood is really almost gone. Oh, okay. So it's slowly it's rotting away. Yeah. The dead wood. Yeah. I never treated it. I used to use a thing called cures rot hmm. on the dead wood, and of late I've been using the penetrating epoxy, which I think is probably pretty good stuff. Hmm. I treated um, one of my hanokis with it hmm. just a month ago. We cleaned it all up, and the whole front carving and all of this was just I could push it and it was kind of uh, rotten mm-hmm. covered with lichen mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it all just saturated see what happens <laughs> so I saturated the lichen and everything else and all it's, mm. it's all real hard now mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what will happen mm-hmm. but if you lose a lot of that feature it's just not as interesting mm-hmm. it's just a big cavity right which is what you wind up when a thing it's hollow, of course, when parts of it start to grow back right, inside. Right, like today, yeah. And yeah. I've got that on two different trees. I've got that on a maple. Mm-hmm. Wow. I think two um, different maples, too. Mm-hmm. There, there's a real tall one in the same the, area. The giant one that's way out there next to the pot that was broken. Mm-hmm. That big maple out there. That's just an amazing tree. Mm. And it's got stuff growing back inside of it. And roots coming up into the hollow part. Oh, wow. From down below, it's just a gnarly mess in there was cool. just a grand old tree yeah. and, uh, anyhow um where can people reach you like can they find you online i website? have no idea well, there, okay. there is a website there's a website okay and yeah. it's com. i can do this part for them. okay <laughs> and there is a, a garden it's called alana gardens right it's yeah. in bremerton yeah well, well, these are your and there's an instagram and well normally we're only closed on Monday. Okay. But last year we were only open Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Okay. And in the winter time, it's just Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Okay. Just don't know what's yeah. coming up this year. Right. It's pretty tough on uh, the lady in my life. Right. Um, to me, I get up and I'm right. going to go to the garden. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't have to tend with yeah with customers. Yeah. By the time they come out in the garden, I win. <laughs> right. And for her, she's got to convince people that the garden is worthy. Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean. Yes. Cost you ten bucks to go through there. And, yeah. And um, it's worth it. <laughs> well, if you're interested, in even if you aren't, you're going to come back real enthused. Yeah. Because yeah. there's stuff out there that you're not going to see yeah. really anywhere. Even the, even the way you look at the sound, 
in the water. Well, yeah, the, you know, the whole escape is just... Yeah. It's another world. Wow, where did this... It's, it's definitely, for my, if I can say this in, in the highest respect, it's taken the life of itself, on its yeah. own self, you know. Mm-hmm. It's living its own thing now. Yeah. I love the, uh, the landscape. It's all about the uh, the mounds, the stone, right, and then the dessert is all that other stuff. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we've got all those great ingredients in this. It's just in the Pacific Northwest. And we do. <laughs> my son does most of the landscaping now, mm. and it's really interesting because I I just kind of turn it over to him. I just soon prune for people. I prune. I get paid. I don't. <laughs> There's no real battle right, right. over stuff, right. and um, dealing with people, people's wants. Well, let me do this for you. I'll make it look great. Right. I mean, here's my garden. Do you see anything you like? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, nobody has anything like it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but um, we went. This guy bought this pine tree from a nursery up in Bainbridge Island, and. He didn't have any way to get to his get it to his house over in Tacoma. He's an old client of mine from years ago. We did a landscaping for him. Mm-hmm. He's an attorney or something. Anyway, we bought this tree and there it is at this nursery. And so he said, "Could you rescue me and pick that tree <laughs> up and bring it to your garden and then come and plant it in my yard?" Mm-hmm. Which all sounds like, uh, um, right. okay. Right. But I turned it over to my son because mm-hmm. he lives on Bainbridge, and so it was easy for him to stop at that nursery, bring it down to the garden. So we had it for six months while he's having time to do this little job in Tacoma. And it turns mm-hmm. out that it's 65 feet up a bank oh, wow. oh. <laughs> to where the tree's going. And of course, right. you got to get some dirt up there and some rocks. Mm-hmm. And he's got the crane, mm-hmm. but it only reaches 60 feet. So mm-hmm. we had to buy an extension. Oh, good. To put on the end of the crane to get the extra footage, and anyhow, he wanted me to come with him to do it. <laughs> and it was a weeping dense of flora that wasn't too bad, but it really just kind of did some stuff like this. Mm-hmm. And so we go over there, and we're over there with another guy, one of his good school friends, whose name is Daniel. So it was easy mm-hmm. to remember his name. <laughs> and, uh, and anyhow, I get over there, and then I start looking at this guy's yard, and I'm seeing all these things that need to be done. You know, this is the, this whole thing should come out of this maple, and mm-hmm. and he's kind of afraid to prune, and so then he's wanting. So it turned into a real day of every, everything turned out great, mm-hmm. but I wind up turning the whole system around in terms of the way that I compose the shape of the pine and the rock that supports the dirt, that mm. puts it on the mound, mm. that elevates it so that it looks good in mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. place in his yard. And I, I, uh, of course, my son is way down there running the crane. Right. And so, okay, <laughs> I know how to do this, but it just it wasn't the way it was right. planned, but it turned out looking great and everybody's happy. And so, oh, good. But I, I still am looking things different than... But everybody does, mm-hmm. you know, they see things differently. And, yeah. But if, if the difference it winds up boring, <laughs> then the Yeah. And so that's the nice thing about that garden. Mm. There's nothing down there that isn't 
wow, hmm. look at that. Hmm. Like, we, like we were talking about earlier, you, get, you either have a positive or negative reaction to it. There's no, there's yeah. no eh, it's like, I don't know how I feel about that. You yeah. Know? And I yeah. think that's the best reaction because it's, it's honest. It's disruptive, yeah. yeah it's hmm. an honest reaction. It's like, yeah. I mean, we plunk ingredients and, you know, we get a new thing and we just put, I just put that big snag up that's out in the entryway that that the light is hanging from. Yeah. Mm. Just a fabulous piece of wood. Mm. And uh, just put it up there a couple months ago. Mm. But I've had it for years laying down. Mm. Finally, I said, yeah, come on, let's stand that up. I went to all the trouble to bring it here and bolt it together. And... I have to ask. Yeah, and remember you had your showcase at the Pacific Bolton Museum. Yeah. That was a beautiful showcase. Yeah. And... Um, I will say, I love how you just do it to your true self of like colored pot, glazed pot, you know, the old traditional thing. That yeah. was so cool. Like, oh, that's awesome. But the big, long piece of dead wood. Do you still have that? You know the one I'm talking about? That was that, like probably like, how yeah, it's, a, root, it's, it's a root, it's mm-hmm. a root chunk thing. That is okay. Wow. I was, yeah. like, I was like, where did you get that? <laughs> yeah, it's a cedar root, but for some reason there was a dominant root that came off of one side and then went over here. Yeah. Six or eight feet over this mm-hmm. one. It was like it's yeah, on the display right shelf. It was... It's right out the back door. I show you that yeah. tomorrow. Cause... I saw that laying down. I was just like taken back. My dad is huge. Yeah. <laughs> that is... And it was really quite light, actually. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> I was like, man, the girth of that length. And how do you get a you know, truck bed, I'm sure. But... Now, you didn't go there when I had my retrospective. You went for the Japanese show. No, I didn't go for your retrospective. Oh, I did. Um, that's where you saw that piece. Yeah, because I think that was the first time. I it was. A, it was the first thing that you came to. Yeah. In my show. Yeah. And then there were three wall. or four bone size yeah. intermingled with it. Yep. I remember there was a hemlock with the blue. Uh, I remember the. the yeah, there's there. a, the, a ponderosa pine. Yep. That I've had since 1965. Came off wow. of Chinook Pass or whatever. No. Blewett Pass. Yeah. I've got that outside of here. I'll also see it tomorrow morning. And the snow is gone. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so we'll see some trees. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a great old pine. Nice. Had that a long time. And they've all, they've never been happy for me. Now, that one that I got back from the retrospective, mm-hmm. if I can have my ponderosas look like that. So if it means um, once a week fertilizing, yeah, I suppose. Maybe that's you what might have takes. to break the break the cycle. <laughs> yeah, because it's always uh, well. What's going to die this year? Yeah. The, the, as far as the the, the ponderosas, mm-hmm. okay. Only the ponderosas, and they've always been a favorite, and they were the first ones that I found. But they've all in decline mm-hmm. until that one came back, and suddenly, wow. What did they do? What did they do different? Maybe they fertilized it once a week. Miracle. They're using basically the same fertilizer thing. They may yeah. put an occasional something Didn't different. They, uh, I think for the natives exhibit, they you were saying at that time they were using like the bio gold organic stuff. Yeah, but they don't use it anymore. Oh, okay. They don't, uh, but they use Miracle Grow, which is all I ever. Mm-hmm. That's all I fertilize with. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all about nitrogen for me. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's nitrogen and water. All this other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and trace elements. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the trace elements you get where the tree grow on a crack in limestone. Mm-hmm. What are the trace elements that, that are critical? And yet it can live for hundreds of years in there with nothing, mm-hmm. not yeah. even water. 
Right, 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 right. Because the roots somehow found a right a source. You know, so I think that all of that is is true, but to me, it's uncritical. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do it. But for a lot of people, this is their their fame. Mm-hmm. Is that I know all about soil composition and the trace elements that you've got to have for perfect plant growth or something like that. And the perfect thing for me is that water, because without it, and that's the one thing that's common in nature. Mm-hmm. It's all about the water. It mm-hmm. isn't there. Right. <laughs> Do you collect rainwater? No. Oh, okay. All comes out of the hose and it, it has a minimum amount of chlorine mm-hmm. because it's so pristine, they just put in enough to meet the state requirements. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it's well water. Okay. And uh, it's from right across the street. Mm-hmm. And by the time it leaves the nozzle, there's no chlorine in it. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, it's because it's, yeah. you get it out in the air, which yeah. is yeah. being a water purification guy. I right, I was going to say, definitely <laughs> helped. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, uh, anyhow, in here, we, we drink out of the lake, spring-fed lake. Mm. Oh, there's wow. no streams that feed it. Mm. It all comes from the Olympic Mountains. I think I could lie It's here. just a rare, rare thing. I'll try some tap have water. Have a drink. Have a drink. <laughs> <laughs> I miss mean, good tap water. Oh, yeah. mm. Well, we should go to bed. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, yeah. It's top more yeah, you've tomorrow. traveled. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Halfway across the, the country. Thank you all for watching. You can find more work by Dan Robinson at his Instagram, London Gardens Boneside, at their website, LondonGardens.com, or you can find their book, Gnarly Branches, Ancient Trees, written by Will Hilts. You can also visit Dan's public bonsai garden in person at London Gardens in Bremerton, especially if you call ahead and check the hours on their website. And we will link to all of these resources in our show notes. So hope to see you at a London Garden someday. Thank you for listening. Today's episode has been recorded, produced, and edited by Kevin Ferris and Ryan Houston. Our music was provided by MIDI Cancer. To find more music from MIDI Cancer, check out their SoundCloud and Bandcamp pages. To find more information on the podcast, please check out our Instagram page, Bonsai Time Podcast, and our website, bonsaitimepodcast.com. To stay in touch with us, Kevin's Instagram is Kevin underscore Ferris, PNW, and Ryan's website is right2tree2.com. You can find these links in the description below. Thank you for listening, and Bonsai on!